Thank you, Jonathan, and it's good to be back with you. Good evening, everybody. If we didn't meet this morning, indeed, my name is Richard, Richard Coles, and uh, I've come to be with you from Somerset, uh, and it's a great pleasure to do so. Uh, I have come via DCYC Junior Mixed Camp, where I was padre for the week. So if you think this, the uh, T-shirt I'm wearing looks like it's been in a suitcase for a week, it's because it has. Um, so I, I do mention that in case you fear that I uh, was being disrespectful in my attire. I've also had enjoyed great hospitality with the Bartlett's this afternoon, for which I'm grateful, uh, which included a well-required uh, sleep um, on uh, their spare bed. So uh, I'm sure the creaseness has, um, has, has been added to, but uh, it's lovely to be with you. We're, or you are going through some studies at the moment, which has brought you to Nehemiah chapter 4. Right church, right service, is that right? Good, okay, I'm pleased that that is the case. Um, before we read the Lord's word, uh, let's just pray, shall we? Father God, we recognize that your word is a living word, and we ask for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we read that we will hear and understand what you want to say to us this evening. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I will read the whole chapter. Um, unlike this morning, I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, uh, but we are in um, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll read it all, and then I'd like to make some life application comments for you. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. When Sambalat heard that, they, uh, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring, bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God. This is... In the voice of the author now, Nehemiah, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem, to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot build, rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, 
we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officers and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of the plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officers and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards uh, with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon when he went, even when he went for water. So just a little bit of a recap as to where we are where you folks are in your studies here. The book of Nehemiah, is, as you know, and it's just a short recap, is sent in the 20th year of the current king of Persia. And Nehemiah originally started off as this cupbearer to the king, and he had learnt that the remnant in Judah were in distress, far away from where he was, the remnant of people in exile, and that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. And so he asked permission of the king of Persia that he would return and rebuild the city. A bold move for a a cupbearer. And the king said yes and sent him off to Judah to make him the governor of the province and gave him this mission to rebuild. And the the king sent along with him letters explaining his support for the venture and what he was going to do, made provision for timber from the king's forest, and made sure that everything possible could be done. Now, once Nehemiah got there uh, to Jerusalem, uh, there was opposition from Judah's enemies on all sides, the Samaritans, the Ammonites, the Arabs, and the Philistines, as he began to rebuild the wall. 
Back in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, they started from the Sheep Gate in the north, the Hanel Tower in the northwest, the Fish Gate, the Furnaces Tower around the city. They began to rebuild the wall. And at the end of chapter 3, we see uh, from the enemies of Nehemiah and of God's people, we see ridicule beginning. And this ridicule goes into chapter 4, and it ramps up. It starts to get nasty. It's led by this person called Sambalat, and he ridicules Nehemiah, and he ridicules the work that the people are doing in the presence of other people as well, purposely trying to mock them and steer, uh, stir up trouble. The work carries on regardless, but the mockery turns into anger and turns into threats, and it gets quite heated. It gets quite a dangerous situation. The people are clearly getting weary and tired, as is mentioned there in the word. And the job is at best only half done. And there are fears of physical attacks that are on the edge of happening. I wonder if you have ever been overwhelmed by a challenge that was both incredibly important to you that you believe was placed on your heart by God and your burden to do, but is just so daunting because of the scale of it, perhaps because of the opposition that you faced or maybe for other reasons. If the answer is yes, then you are able to identify with Nehemiah this evening. And I must confess that I stand before you not after two weeks of opposition, but I stand before you after two incredibly busy weeks in my ministry. It started off helping out at some extra sessions at boys' camp at Devon Christian Youth Camps because they didn't have a padre. And I spoke at the wedding of Matthew Pitts, Graham's son. And I know some of you knew him. And Graham died about 36 hours before his son uh, got married. And that was an incredibly difficult service. My first wedding I'd taken, then off to camp with the children, and then here with you. And no, I'm not complaining at all. I'm very happy to be here. But honestly, when I begun uh, this fortnight, last Monday, did the challenge seem insurmountable? I must admit, yes, it did at times. Here in Nehemiah is a man who was burdened for the city of God. His heart burned with this. And he, he was so desperate to see the walls of this holy city restored that he almost certainly risked his life when he rose the matter with the king, who could have very easily taken offense at a cupbearer. Although he asked him, uh, it, was, uh, it was effectively an insult because he was saying, King, I do not think that the uh, uh, issues in this province are being well run. But charged with his convictions... And with the Lord's help, despite mockery and derision and threats in the surrounding people, surrounding people, he began this work of rebuilding the walls. But you know, the courage to ask the king for permission to go and begin this work was just the first step. That would have been difficult, but in fact it was probably the easiest step. Because actually getting there and facing this opposition from these people would have been so much harder And how often do we find in our Christian living that when we step out to do big things for God as co-workers with him, as we thought about this morning, and there are some similar themes, it is not easy. It is often difficult 
It is often challenging. And we have a choice. Do we shrink away from that challenge? Do we allow the church of Christ to sleep because it is difficult to address the issues that need addressing in the hurt and broken society out there? Or do we struggle on with Christ, with the strength of God, to work out what is it that we have to do? Well, so often as you perhaps read commentaries on Nehemiah, this book can be held up, and I disagree with it, and many of us do too, but can be held up as a book that is about leadership. Sometimes people go to Nehemiah and they point at him as an example of leadership. And whilst that is certainly a theme of the book, it cannot be uh, denied. It is not the major thrust of the narrative. Because although it is Nehemiah who is given the burden for this task and goes to carry it out, to suggest that it is merely about leadership is to suggest that Nehemiah was so clever and wily in his own strength that he was able simply to manage this problem. This did need some management, certainly. But the walls of Jerusalem were not rebuilt merely because of good governance. Paul tells us, does he not, that our struggle, our fight, is not against people, but is, about, uh, but is with the, uh, the uh, spiritual principalities and evil in, uh, in the world around us that we can't see. And that requires more than a bit of management. The book of Nehemiah is not left for us to be a case study in advanced civil engineering management. He did have to manage people's time, resources, energy, and even battles. But the walls were rebuilt, as Nehemiah himself would acknowledge, through God and in his strength. If you were with us this morning, then you'll know we talked about us, uh, those of us in the kingdom, those of us who are born-again Christians, being co-workers with Christ in his kingdom, bringing what we have, be it very much or very little, for him to multiply when Jesus fed those 5,000 plus women and children. He didn't do it completely on his own, as it were. He required the little that the disciples had and brought to him. And Nehemiah had some resources, but he had to use them in the will of God. He had to give them to him. Well, we noticed some similarities, but what I would like to do this evening is just point out three very simple applications from what Nehemiah did in his struggles, in his situation, and what we might do in our struggles, in our situation. You know, about three years ago now, I was called into uh, my head teacher's office at school and she told me, she said, Richard, she said, I know you're here as a maths teacher, but she said, the, uh, the religious studies teacher is moving on, and I think that you could do it. I had to ask myself some tough questions at that point. You see, because I struggle with something, and that is I'm dyslexic. I'm very good with numbers. You might guess that, because I was a maths teacher. But actually, spelling and so on is something that really, uh, I really, really struggle with. And when I get tired, my words get mixed up. Some of you might notice that happens tonight. I'm very conscious that I have to think harder about it. 
And I really had to pray about that. And I felt the Lord saying, yes, Richard, this is for you. This is what I want you to do. This is, this is the, the result of your teacher training and your time at theological college and so on. This is the moment for you to be a religious studies teacher. But there was no way that I could have accepted that or even do that in my own strength. There come these times where we just have to cry out to the Lord and say, there is no way that I can do this task that's set before me in my own abilities. In fact, the difficulty for us comes when we think we can. When we think we can and then we're tempted to, then we might end up failing and wonder, well, why did that happen? I can't pretend that I'm not delighted that my first A-level student went through the other side and got an A. But he could spell. But I was able to teach him. And that was a delightful moment that happened just last week. What is God calling you to do? What has he put in your heart? What holy burden has he given you? What has he set your heart ablaze for? You may be full of passion for it. But let's take a leaf out of Nehemiah's book for these three simple things that he did. And here's the first one. And it may seem so obvious and so cliched, but he did it and we recognize it. He prayed. Nehemiah prayed in this situation. Verse 9 says that while the rhetoric of the mockers wrapped up and the people got tireder and the rubbish piled up, the rubble piled up, he prayed to God. He had something to do and he turned to God. Lots of you may have read the the famous book, Too Busy Not to Pray. In the busyness of our daily lives, it's very tempting, particularly in the type of culture and society we live in, to maybe lay aside prayer because we have activity to do. Jesus never modeled that. In fact, our reading this morning, although Jesus uh, was followed by the people when he retreated uh, uh, in the instant of the feeding of the 5,000, the reason he was retreating was because of the beheading of John the Baptist. Things were getting heavy, things were getting complicated in his ministry, and he needed to take some time away. I was reminded of this just this week. I had a, a, a very distressing email this week while I was away at camp. Uh, from my exams officer at school, uh, saying that the uh, the examination board, OCR, had uh, accused me of malpractice in my controlled assessment. Basically, they were accusing me of when students doing coursework that I'd helped them, and therefore their coursework was invalid. Now, if that were found to be the case, then all my students would have lost their GCSEs. None of them would have got any results, and it wasn't the case The confusion had arisen because there was a lad who was Chinese, English was a second language, and he'd written something in his controlled assessment that I'd marked and sent off, that in the context of me reading it, knowing his broken English, it made perfect sense what he was saying. But I could see how a moderator, when they would read it, not knowing the lad, not knowing the situation, could read it very differently. Well, I had to write a statement to send off to the exam board, and there were other things that needed to be done. They wanted to contact students, and they wanted to have a statement from the exams officer, and so on. And there was I in a caravan in South Hams with a little bit of 3G signal on my phone, uh, typing away on my phone, trying to write the statement, feeling utterly helpless. And of course, there was only one thing I could do, and that was to cry out to God in prayer for this situation. And I did. And I did do my statement, 
I did do the things that I needed to do, but I was delighted when I had an email the next day saying that the exam board had dropped the allegation and they recognised that it was a misunderstanding. I still had things I needed to do. Nehemiah still had things he needed to do. But I needed to pray about that. I needed to pray about that. And that always needs to be our first response. I'm reminded of this little poem by Grace Nassim. Some of you may know it. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled around me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on grey and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. Well, a second thing Nehemiah does is this. He, he sets a watch. I don't mean one of these. He sets a watch. He sets a lookout. He gets the workers together, and he gives them weapons as well as tools. We read in the scripture that while the laborers labored, they wore a sword on their side, and some of them were given specific jobs as well as being lookout. So Nehemiah has prayed, but that doesn't mean now that he doesn't do practical things. But notice that the prayer did come first. That was important. Now, some of them get on with the job of rebuilding the walls and others keep uh, a lookout. But he also has a man near him ready to blow the horn if there's an attack. And if there is, then the people can come near him and everyone is armed, ready for the attack. How can we apply this? Because I trust there aren't too many of you walking around with swords on your side waiting for the Torbay uprising. When I was a youth worker uh, at Martok Christian Fellowship with Chris Bracklin, um, who was my boss and line manager and, and a very fun colleague, I'd begun a, a work which was called Archie's Extra. Long story, but it made sense in the village we were working in. And Archie's Extra was a, a work where we had a, a catering wagon, and we took it, or I took it with a team of volunteers every Thursday night to the local recreation ground in Martok, and there were certain young people who were trying to reach there, um, mostly whom were sort of struggling with the use of certain substances, both legal and illegal. And we'd open up the catering wagon near the skate park and just start by offering out cups of tea, cups of hot chocolate, the odd donut or so on, uh, you know, to these young lads who, and, and girls who would come over and engage with us. And it was a uh, it's a work that still continues today. I haven't been involved with it now for a long time, uh, but it's still going on, and uh, people have been reached for the Lord with it. It's been wonderful. Now, the thing is with Archie's Extra is it was one of those sort of works where there were a lot of complicated things to do. There were insurances to sort out. 
there was the need to get people to tow the van. I could do it most of the time, but sometimes I couldn't. We did need people who would be around ready to talk to these young people and share the gospel with them in sensitive ways. But we also needed people around because it could be at times a bit of a hairy atmosphere uh, just to be keeping an eye on what was going on. We needed a few people to do some washing up and cleaning and so on. And uh, we also needed people back in their homes who would pray on Thursday nights. And we had a prayer rotor for it. You know, there was one work. There was one work. It was the Lord's work. And it continues. But there were so many different roles. And some people did more than one role. And we did begin by praying. But we didn't pray at the beginning of the night and then just wander off like headless chickens. We took our posts We took our positions. And I'm reminded when Paul teaches us about the church being a body, that the eye doesn't say to the other parts of the body, well, I don't need you, and so on. And it's good, isn't it, to seek before the Lord and and talk to those within the church about what is it do you think that that I am? What what, what role is it should I be taking up? Where is there a, a space that I can fill in this particular work? And being ready, yes, to be, you know, a little bit ambidextrous at times, but also as well to keep our station and work for the Lord. So Nehemiah prayed, but he also said a watch. He gave people very specific roles, and they worked as a team. And then finally, he did something about the morale of the people. And this is really a point for those involved in church leadership, but we can all do this. It's an encouragement. He did something about the people's morale. He prayed, he organized them, but then he gets them together in a scene reminiscent of Moses or Joshua getting people together. And he, he says, look, this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. No one's pretending that it's easy. But he says, our God will fight for us. He reminds the people of this truth. Our God will fight for us. And what's really interesting is when Nehemiah says this, the people have weapons on their sides. People have weapons on their side. So he, he's not disengaging the people. Like we discussed this morning with the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus taking the little they had. He's not saying you're not going to be involved. He's not saying that you, might not have to, you won't have to get your hands dirty here. But he's reminding us again from Echo this morning that they are on the Lord's side that they're on the Lord's side. And that is why it's important that Nehemiah isn't just a case study in management. Because Nehemiah acknowledges before the people that the ultimate authority over them all is the Lord, is the King of Heaven himself. They are on his side, and that they fight for him, and the battle is his. That the battle is his, and he will fight for them. And so it's my prayer for your fellowship and for all our fellowships that we keep these things in these order, that we do pray when we come across these difficult tasks, but we pray so that we may find out what it is we need to do, not just retreat, not just go back inside and say, it is too tough. When we have dedicated to the Lord and listened to take up our stations, And that goes for everyone of every gender and every age. 
I was so blessed during that work in Archie's Extra, and I say this with, with such love and conviction of, a, particularly I can think of a couple very elderly ladies who felt that they just couldn't do anything. They wanted to be involved, and I reminded but you are, you are at home praying. I know from 7 to 7.15, you are on your knees in prayer. And if you're not doing that, then all I'm doing is being an ineffective social worker. But you are wrestling with the Lord. You are giving this to the Lord for us. So take up your stations. And then finally, let us never forget that every battle we face is the Lord's. We are on his side, and we are co workers with Christ so we give him thanks that he has called us to work in his kingdom for his glory along with him regardless of that might be difficult but maybe bring glory to his name let us pray father we thank you for the uh, for the lives of men like Nehemiah and others too in this part of Israel's history after the, the exile, Lord, and it was a difficult time for your people. But we see in that remnant faithful people who look to you, who work with you, Lord, who, who follow your lead and keep all their battles and their struggles in perspective that that you will have the glory you will have the victory so we pray that you will encourage us in our struggles in our opposition in those things you put on our hearts we pray that we would faithfully know the stations that we are to take up and to man those stations and that we would have every confidence that we are on the lord's side And regardless of what comes and what we face, we know that we are are your precious people and we are for your glory. And we pray that your name will be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.